0: Have you ever wondered why some people are more susceptible to certain diseases than others? Or why certain traits such as height or intelligence vary so widely between individuals? Well, today's episode is all about unlocking the secrets of the human genome through the revolutionary technique of genome-wide association studies or GWAS for short. In today's episode, I sit down with Dr. Daniel Talion, who is a computational geneticist, and his work is mainly focused on genome-wide association studies. Join us as we dive into the world of genetics and explore how GWAS is helping us unravel the complex web of genetic factors that shape who we are. All right, uh, thank you so much again for uh, showing up. This is actually your second time, uh, but the the first time in the new podcast. So I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank thank you,
1: Mike, uh, for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here.
0: My pleasure. I mean, uh, not so many people do it once, let alone twice, so (laughs) Uh, yeah, we can uh, just dive into the questions. Yeah, so today we're talking about uh, GWAS. So maybe we can start by uh, a definition what is uh, Gwas?
1: yeah this is a, a very basic question but it's also a hard one uh, especially explaining it uh, to the broader audience mm-hmm. and uh, recently I was actually giving a class to the to the students introducing to them to to the to GWAS, and when preparing to the class, I actually found at least five definitions different Mm -hmm. of uh, genome-wide association studies. If, uh, you know, I can't give them all, and some of them Mm -hmm. are very technical, but the most important thing are two words in this. this, uh, It's Mm genome-wide and associations. Right. So I will start with genome-wide you know genetic studies can be different by their design and and their goal and it depends on the research question
2: mm-hmm.
1: and for example many genetic studies study only one particular gene for example biology of which is known but they're trying to un- understand uh, m- more deeper what is happening when you for- when, for example, you damage this gene or mutate, introduce mutations to it, and so on. So those studies are usually called, uh, you know, candidate gene studies Mm -hmm. or single gene studies. And they're concentrated on on one region, small region of our genome, on that particular gene they're interested in. Now, genome-wide tells us that genome-wide studies are actually not concentrated on a particular gene, they actually analyze entire genome doesn't matter if it is a gene in fact doesn't matter (laughs) if it is like inside the gene in non-coding part of the gene or is it outside Mm -hmm. and majority of uh, results from such studies come actually from the genome which doesn't code any gene so the genome-wide means that it's an entire genome, and I, I just can remind to our listeners that entire human genome is composed of around 3 billion base pairs, 3 billion, we can rephrase it as 3 billion letters, A, C, G, and T. So genome association studies are studying all of them at once. Now, the second part is association. And this word can like mislead a lot of people uh, even a lot of researchers who actually you know in the field mm-hmm. because when we say association it's it doesn't if when we say the gene is associated with the g- disease we don't necessarily mean that the, d- the that gene is is actually the main reason why disease is happening or this gene is actually causing the the disease mm-hmm. what we mean is that there is some link between the the status of the disease and the gene presence between an individual. For example, assume you're a doctor and you have, uh, you have like hundreds of patients and you, you have the access to their health information, the blood measurements, and uh, you also it happens that you also actually sequenced their genomes so you know all the, all the letters in, in their DNA. And imagine that some some of your colleague told you that, hey, at this specific uh, position of the genome, I noticed that patients who carry a letter A are more likely, you know, uh, more more likely to have to have type two diabetes, for example. Right. And no, and now you want to confirm this. And essentially, what what you do, you take all your hundreds of people, group them into those who carry the A in that position and those who don't. And then you look what are the proportions of type two people with type two diabetes in one group and another. And for example, you find that in, in your particular case, you have you know, 70% of those who carry A actually have type two diabetes. And among those who don't carry A, only 50% have type diabetes. Now, here is uh, what happens. Can you, you know, can you actually say that it's causal? No, but you clearly that that A causes that type two diabetes. Yeah, clearly not at this stage, because you don't know what environment those people live in. You don't. You didn't measure actually. You, you didn't didn't test other. You know, nearby positions, and so on and so on. So you need to be very careful. Essentially, what you did, you did a simple statistical association testing, and you can, for example, uh, using a statistical method, you can, you know, derive a probability. What is the chance that you observed these frequencies, you know, these proportions, uh, just just because you were lucky? Yes, and yeah. if you know this probability is very very low, like below .00005 percent then you say, yes, you definitely, you know, not, <laughs> you know, you, you yeah, can't yeah. be so, <laughs> so lucky, so definitely <laughs> no by chance. Mm-hmm. Yes, so this is the idea. And that's what actually, uh, this means that those, uh, like coming back to the abbreviation, genome-wide association study, GWAS, so they test every position in our genome for association with the disease that's what it means now uh, i mentioned before that we have 3 billion positions in our in our uh, genome on average yes but uh, luckily for for us we don't need to test all of them we know that the the number of positions we actually different it's not so large although it's still big it's mm-hmm. around you know 3.5 to 4.5 million of positions where you know each of us can carry different you know different letters,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I really liked uh, what you said about uh, the word association. So based on that, uh, how do you ensure that the findings from a GWAS are accurate and reliable?
1: One word would, would which would come into my mind immediately it's uh, replication. Mm-hmm. So uh, going back to the example, so your colleague, uh, when you're a doctor, your colleague, ga- you know, gave you a hint, hey, I see those people carrying that A letter in that position, you know, uh, more likely to be, you know, there, there are more among them with type 2 diabetes. And then you, what you did, you actually didn't believe him immediately. Yes, I told that, you mm-hmm. actually repeated this for your at your own patients yeah. and that i it's an example of replication mm-hmm. because otherwise you could have believed your colleague immediately and said uh, okay i will start giving them uh, prescribe him yeah. no uh, mm-hmm. imagine it's sometime in the future i mm-hmm. prescribe them uh, you know crisper uh, you know <laughs> <some laughs> crisper yeah. based uh, you know drug yes so mm-hmm. to remove this <laughs> mutation <laughs> but this would yeah. be quite wrong so that what you want is basically you want to confirm the results by separate experiment this is the first thing and then another thing that uh, when we talk specifically about genome association studies we test you know we test for association at each genetic position position in your dna you know independently without looking around you know for others so we test test independently, and for each genetic position, we have this uh, probability that we observe that association not by chance. And then there are multiple, multiple, uh, let's say, like many, many, you know, statistical methods, how you can actually, you know, further refine your results to select out of those uh, many, many, uh, you know, positions you tested, those which are more likely to be causal at this point you still don't say that they're causal you're still speaking about associations but Mm -hmm. here you end up with a list of most likely ones then probably the next step you want to confirm by replicating it in the different uh genome association studies Mm -hmm. and uh, there are many different designs but you know the idea is that you basically repeat it and you should get similar thing Mm -hmm. then to confirm, then probably you want to have some lab experiments, for example, on cell lines. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Knocking out this, you know, if this variant is inside, if, if this position inside the gene, maybe you want to mutate and see what happens to the cell line. Then after that, if things you observed with the cells make sense biologically that you see that. All the changes in the in the self uh, in in the ce- in the cell make sense in terms of what you observe in the in the human body. Mm-hmm. Then probably you could proceed with the experiments on the animals. I imagine yes, mm-hmm. and uh, this would be next step. And uh, this uh, involves again a lot of ethical considerations, regulations, and so on, and so on. And then after that, you only can imagine trying to you know he, at this point you probably already understood how how that variant you found how that you know letter which which you observe in that position influence the life cycle of the cell influence uh, how how the gene works you understood the biology right yeah and at this point you can speak start speaking about if you want to develop a drug, how you will use this information actually to to develop the drug? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So uh, the end goal is to uh, develop a drug? Yeah
1: this is uh, the end goal of all the all the genetic uh, genetics is actually to develop drugs to cure mm-hmm. diseases or prevent
0: them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So before moving on, uh, I wanted to ask about your specific area of research within GWAS so uh what are some of the projects that you're uh, working on
1: so maybe some of your listeners uh, uh listened my first podcast and mm-hmm. i just uh re- repeat a little bit about my background so by training i'm a computer scientist right and uh i started to work in in uh in the field of genome association studies starting from my master thesis uh, and uh there i actually tried to apply my knowledge on on uh, in computer science especially in optimizing the 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 algorithms computational algorithms and for for actually association studies so in the beginning i referred that there are 3 billion positions and you know we do th- at 3.5 to 4.5 million positions were different but when when you start you know having data genetic data on many 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 people your your size of the data you collected grows this means that you need more storage Mm -hmm. yes on 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 your on your computer it means that you need more time to run some algorithms and some of the algorithms developed uh, initially in the in the in the field of uh, genomatization studies actually can take you know like days weeks some of them even years if you would scale them if you just take Mm -hmm. algorithm developed like 20 years ago and try to run on the new news new data at at the scale it is now then probably you'll wait two years to to finish this computation so you know it, it means that 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 field required people and required some investment in in developing these computational tools and optimizing them for the large scale data. And that's how, you know, that's what actually I I, I started to do as a student and I'm uh, still continuing uh, doing this as uh, now as the, uh, as a researcher.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Um, so I think, uh that would be a great excuse for us to talk about the computational methods uh because uh what you just described uh in my understanding the whole thing uh wouldn't be possible without many technologies like uh cloud computing um i don't know software engineering maybe data science and all of that so how has uh, all of that uh shaped and impacted the field of gwas
1: i i would say that it's, it's, it relies a lot on the computational aspects and computational algorithms. And even, uh, you know, when I say, even reprodu- to reproduce the results, you know, to replicate the results, you know, people use different software mm-hmm. and, you know, they process the data in some specific ways. And, you know, one would think that just to develop, you know, efficient algorithms is enough but no you need actually to apply the best practices of the of of the development software development we know from like computer science or uh, computer engineering so you need to make sure that you know you develop software in the reproducible way that you know you keep track of of all your changes in the in the tool and so on and so on so the field really heavily relies on the best practices of of uh, software development at least it is moving there and you know if you if you go now and and google for example for the most uh, commonly used software tools in the genetic association studies in some you know analysis you will find that the the source code for these tools is you know is open to everyone Mm -hmm. it's located on the source code repositories like GitHub or like specifically, uh, there are other software repositories which are specific to the to the field, but they are all under source control. They're all trackable, and you know anybody can look at them and you know fix things or propose uh, the fixes, and you know very interactive in in this yeah. sense. So and this this is important for reproducibility. Now, the second thing is efficiency. And yeah, as I mentioned, uh, tools which were developed 20 years ago, if you run them like they are now, they will probably never finish running, at least in, in like decades. So, and the field was evolving together with the size of the data. So there are more and more tools, efficient. And now, even with efficient computational algorithms, you know, you still need to 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 make sure they run in the reasonable amount of time you know you still want to parallelize them yes and you want to run Mm -hmm. them not on one cpu but on like hundreds probably Mm -hmm. then here (laughs) you you were speaking already about cloud computing yes yes and also you know storing this terabytes of genetic data also and allowing many, many researchers around, you know, the world to use this data at the same time. We're again, speaking about cloud computing because it's a good platform for also data sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why, you know, modern, a lot of algorithms are developed to be able to run on this kind of platforms. But there is one uh, one nuance when we speak about genetic data on the, on the cloud platforms is about the privacy of the data. Yes now our genetic data should be very confident mm-hmm. and here there are a lot of uh practices and a lot of uh, you know monitoring happening with around the genetic data when it's stored on on the compute clouds especially on the on the commercial ones mm-hmm. so people want to make sure that the data is private you know there is no <laughs> leak of the data and so on and so on and uh but you know, you you can never be sure. Right. You know, you can never be sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, there are recent algorithms, and th- th- that's why in many in many genetic studies, when, when people actually participate, you know, some o- some of them re- have quite a, you know strict requirements about genetic data storage and movement. Some of them, some genetic data can't be moved at all from the institution to like commercial clouds. Uh, That's why there are new new algorithms involving which allow actually secure computations on the cloud when the data actually encrypted and it never decrypted. So the algorithms is able to run on decrypted data, produce, you know, results, maybe a little bit approximated, but with enough accuracy. Mm -hmm. So that's how, you know, probably in the future we will see more, you know, you know, cloud-based algorithms which actually, you know, are able to work on encrypted data without moving, you know, or somehow uh, endangering this data.
0: Right. Yeah. So um, I wanted to ask you, uh, given your background, would you consider yourself more of a software developer or a data scientist?
1: I'm not sure. That's a good question. I -hmm. I think I I already lost this uh, Mm this kind of uh boundary <laughs> feeling uh if you would ask me like this uh when was i was doing my phd probably i would say i'm still computer scientist right now uh, i don't i don't mm-hmm. know and uh, to be honest uh, more i work more you know I, pe- I meet people from very different backgrounds all over yeah and you know essentially it It really doesn't matter. I mean, the ability to work with people coming from many different fields is actually increasing the chance that you will do something good and better Mm -hmm. because you have different points of view, you have different approaches tackle the problem, you have different expertise, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I think, yeah. And I I already even, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. I I don't know how to answer Mm it. Because majority of my work is basically a data analysis now mm-hmm. but some part is still, you know, development uh, yeah, it's hard to say, but yeah, I'm yeah. sure not you know, I'm sure not up to date mm-hmm. with the latest uh, you know, techniques in computer science or
0: things mm. like that yeah yeah. so uh, let's uh, go back to the details of GWAS um, so um Can you describe the process of conducting a GWAS from like the beginning to the end yeah
1: let's keep the first step then when you when you need to decide Mm -hmm. (laughs) what is your actually uh uh, you know question Mm
2: -hmm.
1: let's imagine you you have already in mind the we call it phenotype or disease for example phenotype it can you can study for example height Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's not really a disease but uh, you know there are people with extreme height small height you know and in terms of uh, evolution perspective also interesting so there are also you know not necessarily disease but imagine you want to study a, a, a disease so the first thing you want to, to do is recruit the participants mm-hmm. and do the, again, uh, it's called phenotyping, but basically what you want to do, you want to measure all the parameters of the disease. It can be biological biological samples, blood you need for like father for sequencing the DNA, but also you want some blood parameters like, you know, yeah, now, it's out of my mind but yeah you want other like blood parameters you want probably body measurement measurements from the person and you want actually to understand you know the diet of the patient you want to provide you know ask couple of hundreds questions (laughs) Mm -hmm. like how, how what is a diet what patients eats, you know, how much it sleeps and so on so on. So you want to understand this and many, many, many other things. And it's really depends on what you're studying. So, but yeah, the first thing is identify the the disease of interest, identify what kind of measurements you want to take questions to ask and so on. Then the crucial part to decide how many participants do you want Mm -hmm. now? And my answer would be that you need a lot especially nowadays when we, we 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 see that you know you really need to characterize and understand and study rare rare quite rare variations in our genome and rare means which appear in in less than one percent of people mm-hmm. and to do this you need to sequence a lot of people because you for every for every like 100 sequenced you know collected participant you get only one who will carry your yeah. your your let's say letter of interest? Mm-hmm. So and that's how you need like thousands of them probably.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, it also will depend on the uh, on how how common is the disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, common mean how, what is the prevalence essentially? What is the percent of people with the disease in your population? Then you want to make sure that that you account for the difference when you recruit patients or participants to do a study, you want to make sure that it's a homogeneous group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or at least if you have multiple groups, that you have equal or large enough number of participants for, from each of the groups. As an example, you know, depending on our culture, depending from where we come, we can have different diet. Mm-hmm. And this may impact also lifestyle. And this may impact your, you know, the way you interpret your findings also. And also we uh, have differences in, you know, in uh, genetics as well. Some some genetic variants are more common in Europeans, but less common in Africans and other way around. So you want, you know, to have, you know, you, you want to have enough representation from each of the different, you know, ethnic groups mm-hmm. if possible now then you need to decide on the sequencing technology yes on the and this actually interconnected with your number of participants now the most you know the most uh, if we're speaking about current situation the the best you know the best you could do is to do whole genome sequencing
2: mm-hmm.
1: with a technology we call it high depth but it means that it it is very pre- it's very precise in detecting rare variants mm-hmm. but now it's expensive it can go up to you know from 800 to thousand dollars per participant right now you're ending up spending uh, like a million for sure or several millions just just to you know, just to process this, uh, you know, just to sequence read this DNA. Now on top of that, you, 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 there will be a price to pay, you know, to collect this samples. Yes. And then these blood samples extract DNA, then they will be price to pay to process it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Computationally. Uh, there will be many people involved uh, you know you need to hire bioinformaticians, you need to hire nurses and so on and so on so you know it accumulates a lot yeah. now you can go with uh, cheaper technologies but less precise and actually will depend on your question on your f- on, on the disease you study and uh, on your maybe you have some prior you know knowledge about what you expect to find Now if you expect that there is no rare you know genetic variation involved in your disease then maybe you can opt out from the from that expensive whole genome deep sequencing. Maybe you can like instead just you know read a particular positions which are more common in the population and study only those ones and the rest you can you know infer from the other whole genome sequencing uh, data which is publicly available
2: mm-hmm. for
1: research so it's called imputation so basically you kind of try to to guess the missing values which you were not able to discover in your in your with a actually the DNA sequencing machine, yes, or genotyping uh, machine. If you know that s- somehow you know that there are only coding, you know, only genes involved, then yeah, you can go with, I you don't know, deep sequencing, but it sequences only the genes. Mm-hmm. And it saves you at least, you know, a couple of hundred dollars per individual. So you can go with that. Although you will miss the all the regions which are not genes. Mm -hmm. and there are several other options but it's really a you know a combination of decisions made by a researcher and depending on the disease depending on the question they have in mind and depending how much money they have uh, they decide between how many participants to recruit uh, what technology to use Mm -hmm. yes Uh, now okay once you decided how many participants what technology you you actually start your study, the participants, uh, for example, you can do recruiting in the hospital and participants will come to the hospital. They will fill in the forms, uh, you know, give their blood, uh, do all the measurements. Now, I guess uh, you need to wait until your your data is ready for analysis. Mm -hmm. And it, it may take some time, half a year, a year, even might be longer, depending again on the size of your study
0: for genotyping
1: yeah for sequencing or genotyping mm-hmm. so for sequencing might be even longer because you know a lab needs to prepare uh, to prepare the samples to sequence them then bioinformaticians need to process uh, this data
2: yeah
1: uh, and so on and so on so at the end you will get uh you know and probably you will probably will need couple of iterations for example you plan to recruit like 20000 participants probably you don't want to wait until all 20000 come and you know mm-hmm. fill in all this uh, details about their uh, their disease and give the, the their blood you probably want to process like first 5000 then 10000 then the rest 5000 and so on so you have in waves mm-hmm. uh this can, you know, allow you to analyze your data before the study actually recruiting finishes. Right. Then, you know, once you have this, at that point, you're ready to do your GOS. Mm-hmm. And this basically uh, involves uh, just uh, properly running your your uh, you know statistical tools which we developed. And these tools typically account for the relatedness between your your participants. They account for presence of non-homogeneous groups, like of different ancestry groups, uh, so that the findings you find in your Jews not not because simply because of the differences in the you know historical differences of 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 genetics or environment, but really because of the that that allele is more that letter is is more often present in your in your disease. Is people with disease than people with no disease,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then after at this point after you run this, you know you get for each your position you get your <laughs> p-values or like probability that you observed this you know this association just just by chance. Mm-hmm. Yes, and this probability should be very very low.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So uh, it's I can I can tell you to to your to our listeners so but uh, it's uh, five times 10 in the power of minus uh, eight Mm -hmm. so it's uh it's eight zeros after the after the dot. so very you know it's very conservative very conservative but even with such conservative threshold basically this probability means that this is how likely you doing a mistake you're falsely saying that this variant you know this specific position a little letter in this specific position associated with the disease so even with this kind of very th- conservative threshold it's still possible that your discovery is false association
2: mm-hmm. and
1: that's where we can go back and uh, rem- uh, you know remember what we were speaking about replicating the findings and make sure that they're true findings so that's why you would want to run this kind of association in the replication GWAS. So for this, you know, you can, when you're actually designing your GWAS study, you probably also, which I didn't mention, probably you want to think how you would replicate these results. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: It can be that you're already designing the study, you know, knowing uh, in advance that you will be replicating some findings, suggestive findings from other studies. So in this case, you kind of, already replicating them but probably you still want to think about how you will make sure that you will you know disentangle this true associations from false yeah you probably would think it might be that you can divide your study in the replication set but uh, yeah there are many many different designs and I'm no way an expert (laughs) to Mm. explain this but uh, in any way, so you have your probabilities that you don't observe that association by chance. And, and then you have probably, uh, you might have a few hundreds of them. And then you need to distinguish which one of them are most likely causal. And then you end up actually uh, running another set of computational tools. And these tools are often based on, uh, some of them based on machine learning as well, where you actually try to prioritize those uh, those associations based on the for example strength of how they influence how much they influence phenotype based on for example where they are located you would believe more in the variant in the positions which are located in the coding part of the gene rather those ones which are completely you know a little bit outside of the gene yes and things or which are in regions you know are regulating the the how the gene is expressed in the, in in the cell things like that so you try to prioritize and eventually you will end up with your short list of the most likely causal variants or and even most likely genes which are, which this variants are impacting mm-hmm. and from here you can think about designing another study with uh, in the lab Mm-hmm. Yes, for confirming with the probably cell, cells, you know, what will happen if you knock them right. down or something
0: like that. So, um, what you just described, the whole process uh, seems so expensive and labor intensive. Uh, do we have any alternative for GWAS?
1: Yes, but it again depends on your research question. Remember when I tried to define, you know, explain what GWAS is, I mentioned that. There are studies, genetic studies, which are concentrated on, on one gene. That would be an alternative. But this is based on the fact that you have some prior evidence about the gene. Right. Other alternative you know, for rare diseases, very rare disease, is actually, a, it's a family-based genetic studies where you have a, a person who has very severe disease and you sequence or investigate the DNA of this person and parents of this person. Mm-hmm. And then you see what you try to see if, you know, if this person carries, you know, so we, we, we have two copies of each gene, yes? And even if one of that copies is non-functional, another copy of the genus is, is still, is enough for a cell to survive and your, for, for your body to function properly
2: mm-hmm.
1: now what what can happen is that if your parents carry one copy of such mutated gene each but what you inherit by chance you were unlucky inherited you know those copies which carry those the letters which which and then you end up with a very rare condition and this is you know this kind of uh genetic study can you know detect those but you know and the assumption is that that because this condition is so severe you know it can't happen you know for hundreds of people or thousands of people in the general population it happens only for like a few people and it's so bad that it's it's basically destroys uh, you know destroys all the function of the gene and that's how you can you, you need to sequence only you know close relative to understand which one actually Mm -hmm. which one mutation you know which was the mutation and which was the gene yeah Uh, this was another you know another type of genetic studies where you don't need actually to collect many participants run uh, this uh, genome-wide association tests or, or do this expensive high depth sequencing on the DNA. Although for the family-based studies, you still do sequencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's, it's, it's uh, but the, the point is that you don't need to do for thousands of people, you just do for a few. And most often nowadays, you do only, you, you sequence only the genes.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, because the rationale is that the mutation is actually knocking out. gene so but there were some some uh, some studies which were debating a little bit about you know maybe it's nowadays it's better to actually do whole genome sequencing in that cases because if you sequence only the gene there you may miss some mutations for example when we say that we sequence on gene, we mean we sequence only coding part. But right. there is non-coding part called introns, which don't code any amino acid, but they still impact how the protein is actually concatenated once, you know, mm-hmm. uh, a- amino acid, acids are red, yes? So if the mutation is there, then it's also destroyed the gene. So, but with traditional sequencing methods, which sequence only coding part of the gene, you, you, you don't get that. So that many people argue that you know you probably want to do also whole genome sequencing for there. But again, it's expensive, but you don't need to do it on a thousand people.
0: The the advantage of GWAS over the alternatives is that uh it's hypothesis free. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's hypothesis free and you know it's it's more for like more complex uh complex traits, or we call it complex traits, such as mm-hmm. type two diabetes where many, many genes involved. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, there is no one gene where you just, yeah, there is one gene which we know involved, yeah.
0: but it's not only one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are many others. So let's talk about some of the challenges of GWAS. What are some of the biggest challenges in conducting GWAS and how have you addressed them in your work?
1: So if we speak about uh, challenges directly related to my work, I would say it's, there is still, you know, computational challenges.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and they are related to the fact, to the size of the data, because as the field moves towards studying more, more changes in our DNA, which are quite rare. Mm-hmm you need to collect uh, hundreds of thousand people sequence them so and uh, you know just to give you an idea I think from just from top of my mind to store a sequence data already aligned uh, and so on you need around 300 gigabytes per individual Mm
2: -hmm.
1: now if you you can uh, so it's 0.3 terabytes so you can multiply if you collect hundred thousand you it's uh yeah. Like peta, we are speaking about petabyte, so you need to analyze that. You know, here mm-hmm. is uh, my challenge. You know, <laughs> that mm-hmm. yeah. uh, you know more develop. You know, end up with more efficient methods to analyze it. And another challenge is not about even efficient methods to analyze this or store this, but also help researchers to to make sense of the results. Mm-hmm because final results are actually very multidimensional. So, so far we spoke about the setting where you are interested in one disease and you kind of have, yeah, one disease only, you run one GWAS. but we know that, uh, you know, some of the genetic variations actually can be associated with many diseases,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, we call it pleiotropy. And again, I say associated, But not necessarily causal. Okay, and then it means that uh, instead of actually, uh, it makes sense to look. You know, kind of your logic tells you it makes sense to look not on. In this case, you Mm -hmm. (laughs) you want to look other. You know, other diseases with which that variant associated, or maybe other measurements, and uh, see does make sense or not. Okay, you have multidimensional results, and this is one example when you want to look. Another example is that nowadays we can access also medical records from people right and it means that we have access not only to one measured measurement of one disease we have access to hundreds and hundreds of variable collected when person visited the hospital and imagine uh, what will happen if you run a GWAS on each of those measurements
2: mm-hmm.
1: and you have uh, for so you have millions of association statistics for each of the measurement you have thousands of them hundreds and then you multiply and you get your number and i just give you a hint mike actually (laughs) tries (laughs) to develop uh, as his part of his master thesis with me he will develop a tool which actually will help you know researchers to visualize this data and you know make it browsable and Mm -hmm. uh and maybe it will help researchers to kind of uh, develop some initial hypothesis about disease they want to study or they're studying. So this is another part, you know, kind of trying to develop tools which help researchers to make sense of the results.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, You mentioned the field is moving towards um, rare variants, right? So like overall, uh, what is uh, the future direction of the field? What are some of the new trends?
1: Yes, uh, rare variants. So, mm-hmm. meaning uh, more participants. We're speaking about uh, millions mm-hmm. at this at, at this stage. Uh, second point is uh, integration with medical records.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: we're speaking about thousands of measurements, of phenotypic measurements. Uh, third point: integration with your portable devices. Right for example if you study genetics of of diseases or conditions such as mental health mm-hmm. it's very difficult to measure right the, and one of the ways to me- for example you studied genetics of sleep you, you you know one option is to invite person you know there are <laughs> some institutions have a special rooms for sleeping to study mm-hmm. sleep basically they invite you yeah. there to <laughs> to sleep <Yeah. laughs> you know it's kind of uh, uh, it's kind of eliminates a lot of participants <laughs> from your <laughs> study <laughs> so what you can do you can uh, ask your participants to install on your smartphone uh, mm-hmm. app which will do your measurements or use your apple watch measurements now we are talking about uh, measurements from your portable devices and we're talking about a lot of time points mm-hmm. and this is where it's moving mm-hmm.
0: so. so when you said a uh, medical record how is it different from like basic uh, questionnaires
1: i would say it's more it's more uh, well for the questionnaire you need to be very careful. When you design a Jivo study, you are speaking about decade of research ahead. Mm -hmm. So you need to be very, very good at understanding what do you want to ask Mm -hmm. people? Because they will come once, and then you will need to deal with this data for next 10 years. Yeah. Now, you don't want to forget any question, Mm -hmm. and uh, you want to be them precise, and that's end up in the th- in the in the sense so of course there will be m- there was many standard questionnaires developed for example if you're designing nutritional questionnaire about uh, nu- nutrition of the people you know you have already you know people developed for many many years they okay this is a set of questions but in any way it's more static mm-hmm. you know you can go back in time or call participants back and tell hey you that question number 94 <laughs> <laughs> Or can i ask you some it, yeah. it doesn't work so it's static you can come back
2: mm-hmm.
1: and for medical records you know it's more precise and it, it kind of you you can go there and find things that you might are relevant for your disease you're studying but about which you, you even didn't think of you know for example you designed a questionnaire for type 2 diabetes but you know type 2 diabetes might be a is quite kind of related to many other conditions and you didn't think of asking about some specifics but if you would have medical records for your participants you can actually go and see oh yeah that makes sense those people you know had mm-hmm. uh, had this condition they had these drugs so you can you know it's it's very very unlikely that that many participants will be able in your study to answer about which actually drugs they are prescribed to Yes, uh, when, when they fill in the questionnaire. Uh, I, I know, you know, some studies w- were asking people to bring even, you know, people to bring all the bottles of their prescription drugs mm-hmm. to, the, to the, you know, recruitment center so they can actually, a nurse, with the help of nurse, they can actually list. Yeah. So, okay, so not many people can do it. Mm-hmm. And there can be like many, many errors happening. Mm-hmm. But if you have access to medical records, you're more likely to get information in much better shape mm-hmm. and you know much more precise. Um, yeah, I, I, did I did the answer? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just uh,
0: thinking that uh, doesn't it make any like kind of like a bias in recruitment? Because like I mean. Yes. not so many people will agree to do that
1: yeah it makes a bias even even without medical records it may still there is a bias because uh, in recruitment and it was shown in many uh, population-based studies uh, and the bias is the is is that it's social bias as well people who are more willing to participate in, in in genetic studies they tend to be you know doing better economically you know mm-hmm. financially and so on and so on so uh, from top of my head I, I I will not be able to list all possible biases but there are biases even in the current stat you know even if you don't go with hospital-based recruitment with medical records you, you still will have biases mm-hmm. the way the way you like starting from the way you advertise your study ending with the biases you can't control, that people who are more like willing to participate have, you know, have more opportunities to do this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Great. Um, two more questions, and then we can uh, wrap it up. So, uh, what are some of the most interesting or unexpected findings that have emerged from GWAS research in recent years? Uh, good
1: question, and I actually encourage you to ask this question to. Uh, your other guests Mm -hmm. who work in the in the field or related field Mm -hmm. so I I, in the beginning uh, I I told that the the main uh, you know the main outcome from genetic studies we expect drugs or new new ways to to treat uh, you know people when they have some uh, health condition so I'm no way expert you know expert to talk about this because I'm kind of work in the in the field where I kind of uh, develop algorithms, and I'm not mm-hmm. too much uh, in in the field of like final stages.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But what was I guess interesting uh, f- for for me personally and for the field in general, mm-hmm. apart that apart the end product like drug development is just uh, understanding of underlying biology. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we still have a lot of lessons uh, to learn. We're still not able to, even having technologies with, uh, which allow to sequence completed DNA, uh, st- still expensive, and we still don't have enough data to like understand the, the biology of variants, especially rare ones, and, and that they play a role in, in the disease. So I, I think the field is at the stage that we are convinced that mm-hmm. it's very important to be inclusive in genetic association studies mm-hmm. that that in you know the, there are differences between uh, uh, ethnic groups in in how you know in the in in their v- gene- genetic variations and how they uh, impact disease and you know, it helpful to, to include everyone because, you know, because the findings are are much more plausible and you have much higher chance to, to find something. Uh, I think I I lost my (laughs) track of, yeah, I guess it's rare variants. The finding that we need, we need to investigate more rare variants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That would be the main and better phenotyping, better, you know, more, you know, medical records, you know, more precise. Yeah.
0: Perfect. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, last question is what advice would you give to young researchers who are interested in pursuing a career in GWAS research?
1: My advice, uh, first, um, it's very, very interesting. Be ready to do a lot of hard work. Mm -hmm. And if you are into the, you know, computational things, if you like uh, data analysis, if you like uh, things like machine learning, it's a perfect field to apply this. Actually, you know, to to polish your skills, or obtain the skills, or apply the skills. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. depending on what stage of your career <laughs> <Yeah>. of your <laughs> of your career you are. Mm-hmm. So it's a very fast moving field, and it's. Uh, I think uh, it's in need of. Uh, it's, it's actually in, in, in the need of, of people who will, you know, work on this data and uh, try to analyze it.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you so much again. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Uh, my pleasure as always. All right, I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please leave us a great review on your favorite podcasting platform, and I'll see you again next time.